those names and places and jobs are important. They're not recorded there in order to fill out the pages. It's significant that the person that kept the gates is named. It's uh, significant um, that certain people lived in certain places and so on. And uh, so I know every one of you felt for Margaret as she was uh, reading, but I think it, it was important for us to, to get that simple message um, that it is uh, important. And you'll see that as we go, go through this morning. Our journey through Nehemiah is um, drawing to a, a close. Um, from the book of Ezra, we, we see that the temple was built. And now we see that the walls have been uh, rebuilt and, and the gates restored. The enemies to the building have been silenced. The people's faith, their relationship with God, has been restored. It's pretty good progress, isn't it? As we'll uh, discover as we move into the book, nothing's perfect. There's still things to do. Uh, but uh, progress has been made. And then we come to this um, uh, passage which might read, first of all, as simply a list of names and so on. And in the uh, titles that we gave these um, passages, we've called this The Way God Works. And as you perhaps read the passage, you might have questioned that. Well, where did that uh, come, come from? Well, God works, doesn't he? He works in different places and he works through people. And so an alternative title and perhaps a better understood description would be the place and the people. And this is what I, I want us to look at um, this morning uh, together. Just these two things, the place and the people. And to understand the place, we need to think about the city of Jerusalem itself and its significance uh, to God's people. Or now, at this time, the tribes of Judah and of Benjamin. Um, cities in olden times, as it were, I was trying to say to their children, were of great significance. And I think that's probably true today, isn't it? Um, uh, you know, every uh, city throughout the world is famed for something. They, they are centres of... Uh, uh, you know, commerce, and uh, they're often a, a great symbols of what that particular country stands for, and so on. But in Bible times, if you like, in the Old Testament, uh, cities had a particular significance. You remember uh, the Exodus, when the children of Israel, uh, they escaped from Egypt, and they were on the verge of crossing into the Promised Land, the land that God had said, it's yours. You, all you've got to do is go and get it, basically. And so, um, because it was going to involve a military campaign, um, Moses sent 12 spies. And you'll recall what happened. Uh, Ten spies came back and they said, it's impossible. Just don't, 
We can't. And two came back and said, it's a great place, we've got to go. And the response of the people, uh, we read in Deuteronomy, of course, was to f- follow the lead of the, 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 the ten uh, doubters, the ten glass half empty characters, uh, because they said, where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, with walls up to the sky. We even saw Anakites, they were giant type of men there. You see, in those days, a city was a symbol of power and strength. They were built with walls and gates. They were meant to be impregnable. They were a monument to the greatness of the people that occupied them. They, of course, also were the centers of those people's wealth, where the commerce took place. And and that's why when Nehemiah hears that the walls have been flattened, he's so grieved, because without the walls, the city is nothing, and without a city, the people are nothing. And, And there is the link. Jerusalem was one of the last uh, cities conquered. If you, you go through the book of Joshua, which deals mainly with the conquest of the land that God had promised them, and um, you discover that you have to go into the book of Judges before they actually uh, conquer this uh, city of Jerusalem, the home of the Jebusites. And ever since, to the Israelites, it has been a very uh, special place. This was the place where, ultimately, when uh, they chose a king, that king made his home. This is the place where, when uh, Solomon, under God's guidance, uh, built a temple, the temple was built. This, like any other city, demonstrated the greatness of the uh, nation of Israel. And you recall that uh, when the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon, she said, the half has not been told. At that time, the nation of Israel, under God, was a great nation. And the, its borders under David had expanded uh, to where they were meant to be. Uh, they shrunk thereafter. Um, and the center of it all was Jerusalem. In Psalm 137, which some of you may recognize more as a song, it says, How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If we forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. And you know that that song was penned as a consequence of them being carried off as captives to Babylon and immortalized some years ago by those of us, remember, by Boney M. That is showing our age, isn't it? But there we are, by the rivers of Babylon. Jerusalem was the heart of the people. And even today, if you speak to modern Jews, they look to Jerusalem. And that's why it's still a place of... um, Uh, Conflict, if only at the moment, under the surface. Some of us um, remember in our lifetimes it being a a place of real conflict. And all throughout history, that has been the case. Jerusalem was um, the place that 
signified, the place that described, the place that was at the heart of the nation of of Israel and um, therefore it had that great importance. And it's a place in times when there was a temple and things were well between God and his people where God dwelt. So that's the place. What about the people? Um, This year marks the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo. I I enjoy that kind of uh, history. And um, it... We uh, celebrated it mildly, didn't we, um, as, a, as a victory. Well, the French weren't convinced about that and weren't too keen to participate too much. At this point in time, for the Israelites, their history after the exodus from Egypt and uh, conquering the land that God gave them from the sort of time of King David onwards was pretty dire. It really was a history of rebellion against God and then being restored and then rebelling again. Uh, most of the, the, the kings are described in the scriptures as those who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And in fact, uh, after um, <coughs> Solomon, there was this division between Israel and Judah. So they were not united anymore. And uh, it culminated with their captivity and being taken to Babylon and the destruction of Jerusalem. And so when we come to these, these books of Ezra and Nehemiah, when we read in the, the prophecy of, of Haggai, we see here this is the time of rebuilding. This is the time of starting again. This is a time of building the nation back so that God can come again and work amongst them. And that's the point where we've got. And in order for those things to happen, it requires people. It's great that they've built the building, they've erected the temple, they've uh, put the walls around the city, they've got the gates there now. Well, what's it going to be? A monument, you know, like some of us enjoy visiting. Um, A stately home that you just go and wander around and go, ooh, ah. But it's not a home in in that sense, is it? Or some great uh, castle where you can stand on the ramparts, but really that's when all the visitors have gone, it just stands there, empty and hollow. No, Jerusalem was meant to be filled Jerusalem was meant to live and breathe. That was what God wanted. And so it required these people. And I want us to see just a few things uh, about these people this morning. First of all, they were willing to be where God wanted them to be. As I explained to the children, a tenth of them were to live in the city and nine tenths were to live elsewhere. The implication of the reading is that actually the city wasn't the first choice, but it was of necessity. Um, We need to be clear here that the reference to casting lots is not about chance. 
It's a way of determining determining, uh, God's will. In Proverbs we read, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. It wasn't a kind of, you know, a throw of the dice. It was a genuine seeking to find out what God's will was. And those people who were to remain in the city and be part of the city's function as the centre of uh, commerce, as the place that just declared the greatness, the returning greatness of these people, as the place where God was and where God was to be worshipped. Those people were there willingly. That's the important thing. And that's why uh, we read, you know, that they were commended. Or as I read it in another translation, they were applauded for uh, their willingness to be there. They were recognized by their peers uh, as those who uh, were willing uh, to follow God's lead and to be in the place where he wanted them to be. We uh, had read to us a great number of names and descriptions this morning, but not everybody was named. The vast majority of people went to where God wanted them to be, to their farmstead, to their bit of land, to their little mountain village, whatever it was, and they were part of God's plan. They were part of the service. The city would not exist without their agriculture and they would not exist without the city where um, the uh, commerce and so on took place. This was all necessary. When I was in school and we did a subject called commerce briefly, I think they probably call it economics now or something else, I learned about interdependence. That you know, we all rely on each other. Some people give their labor, some people sell their goods, and so on and so forth. But the whole thing works together. And that's the plan God had for his people and for his city, for Jerusalem. But not everybody was recognized and named, but everybody was prepared to be in their place. We, we read also a lot of uh, descriptions about the gatekeepers who kept the gates, about the singers who who sang about the priests who had a function in the temple and so on. Everybody was prepared not just to be where God wanted them to be, but to be doing what God wanted them to do. Now, you lovely folks here this morning, your mother, I can tell, I can look at your faces and I see you're paying attention. But I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, well, actually, I'll work that out for myself. I hope you did as you read through this passage, because it's so clear, isn't it, that this is what um, was going on here. This was things being set in order that the nations around might see God at work. This was the idea. But, you know, we need to look at this and we need to find for ourselves something in this passage for us today. And I think the first thing we can say, because again, we know it from God's word, we know it from experience and so on, is that God today is not to be found in a place, but he's to be found amongst his people. I love old churches and cathedrals and so on. They're great places, aren't they? And in the days that they were built, they were built 
by men of faith. They were built in order to declare the greatness of God. They were built, in some respects, to teach the poor folks who couldn't read or write and so on uh, about God. But they were mostly man's monuments. That's not what God wanted. God wanted buildings of people. This is what we read. If we had read this morning, if we'd have read, carried on from our communion reading in Ephesians, on through that chapter and got down to verse 19, this is what we would have read. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. A dwelling what? Not of bricks and mortar or of lias, stone and Welsh slate, but a dwelling of people. People from Wales and England. Are we any Scots today? I don't know, Birmingham or whatever, you know, the middle of that. It's north of the M4, so it's rather dark there. Oh, and there's that uh, place east of Sussex, of course. Um, and so on. We've come... We've all sorts of backgrounds and experiences, aren't we? And we could all tell uh, stories of how it is we're here today. Because God has drawn us together to this place. He's drawn us together to be a church. A church with a small c. The church at Fivehead. Paul in uh, these verses is describing the church at Ephesus using the metaphor of a building. A building made up of God's people who are what? Well, as we saw earlier on, made alive in Christ, who have been saved by grace, whose lives are built on the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. That's what we're engaged in this morning. And with one who holds us all together, One who is our reason and purpose, the man Christ Jesus. And I believe that nothing has changed today from the time of the, uh, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians to today. I believe these verses uh, describe or should describe the church at five head. That first and foremost, we are those who belong to Jesus, in whose heart his Holy Spirit lives and uh, moves. So the world around us sees God in us, sees God in our church. He sees God in us as part of a church universal, if you like, in the sense that all believers are part of the church. But also as a church, a body of people where God evidently lives here at Five Head. So we, we looked back and we saw these um, uh, men of, and women of, of Judah and of Benjamin 
and saw their characteristics. Well, what about us? Surely we can, we can draw from that and, and uh, question, are we the people who are where God has placed us? Are we using our gifts and skills in his service, in his church? Are we prepared to serve, perhaps without recognition? I have to um, make a confession this morning that I, I did not find preparing this particularly easy. As I um, read through the chapter, I, I may have described some of you how I do this before, but at, at home I have a little notebook and um, I would uh, tend to read through the, uh, the given verses and, and pray and uh, then sometimes I would go away and as thoughts and ideas come to mind I grab the notebook and scribble them down and then I would take some time to prayerfully sit down and, and think about things and maybe add some more notes and ultimately bring all of that to some sort of order. And as I saw the direction this was going, I really had a difficulty. Because I think you might think I've used the passage just to bang on about something you know is dear to my heart anyway. But I really do believe that God places his people in churches. This is the pattern I see from Acts and throughout the letters. And even when you get to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, it begins with a letter to seven churches. Not seven buildings, but seven collections of people. So when I looked at this, I have genuinely sought the Lord to discover what I think this passage teaches us. I haven't set out to judge anyone or to cause anyone any discomfort, but I can't apologize for what I feel convicted about or what I feel this passage is telling me. This morning as a a fellowship, we've uh, shared communion and that's been great. And um, we've shared these words from God's word together. And in conclusion, I just want to leave myself and you with some questions. First of all, to ask if we are amongst those who have recognized our sin and are sorry for it. If we are amongst those who have accepted God's gift of his son, realizing that his death on the cross was for us. Are we those who have turned to Jesus in faith and repentance and as a consequence have been made alive in him? And made alive in him is a sermon in itself. Do we desire to be part of the church he is building in harmony with our brothers and our sisters? And are we prepared to serve where he places us and where he directs? They're not incredibly profound thoughts, but I find them incredibly challenging.